Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know, it's not about the money. It's not about, you know, the, the, the interesting projects that we execute or the intellectual challenging exercises that we do every day all of those things are important but the one that really kind of drive us every day is the is the ability to create value for other people this is property investry where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories mindset and strategies I'm Torrin Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with property developer and builder Henry Villa. Working with his partner for his construction company, Franco Buildings, Villa talks about how he got into property, the amazing outcomes he's had with his business and the building processes he's gone through to get success for himself and his clients. Working as a property developer and builder, Villa explains the focus of his property journey. I'm a property developer and a builder with Franco Buildings. So a lot of my property journey has been focused on property development, construction, both for our own projects and for clients. With a focus on residential properties, Villa explains the general process Franco Buildings undertakes when working with their clients. A lot of what we do is residential development, particularly multi-units, seems to be the 80 or 90% of what we do. Uh, we do a few apartment buildings, uh, but, they're, uh, but they're probably not a big part of what we do. A lot of what we do is increase the, increase the density of existing property. So if a, you know, if a property in a big block, there's a single house in there, what we tend to help uh, our clients do is we knock down that house and then build two, three, four you know, five townhouses or units, uh, depending obviously on the land and where it is and what the market can sustain um, with the view that then they will go and all sell that product, make a profit in the process. Acting as not only a property developer and builder, but also as a consultant for his clients, Villa explains what a given day with his job involves. It's actually fairly fairly consistent and to be honest, a little, a little bit boring. So uh, there's two things that I do every day. Um, you know, one of them has to do with, like I said, building residential projects. So the project management uh, and the administration of, of those projects, we, we tend to have anywhere between three and nine projects going at the same time. Uh, so going to site, you know, liaising with trades and, and suppliers and getting, getting properties constructed. Um, the other part of what we do, which is, to be honest, is, is probably more important for us, has to do with providing advice to our clients on how to maximize their return on their existing properties or their return on their or the or the development projects that they're already running. So, you know, very often 
we, we have clients who are thinking about doing development or are doing development already, uh, and they just don't know necessarily, you know, what product to build or how to build it, how to optimize the construction cost. So that way, obviously, they, they maximize the return. Um, and we play, a, a, you know, a key pivotal role in providing them advice in those areas. Thinking back on his client's experience, Villa shares his opinion on the challenges people often face when getting to property development. By far, the, the biggest issue we see uh, in the development world um, is when people don't do their numbers right. So it's very easy if you're not involved in, in the industry, if you're not a builder, if you've never done property development before, it's very easy to underestimate the development cost of a project like this, whether it's living out uh, big expenses uh, during the construction project or even during the design and permit process uh, or, the, or, or DA process, as it's called in other parts of the country, um, or, or, or whether it's, uh, you know, living out things like GST or council contributions. And all of those things can be on themselves bigger than the potential profit of the project. So it has the ability um, to turn a, you know, a perfectly a positive project into a project that doesn't doesn't provide the profit that that they originally expected. So um, we see that happening a lot with um, so new developers, uh, what we call the once and done developers, developers who go, they really get emotional about the process. You know, maybe pay too much for a site without necessarily doing their numbers correctly, um, end up paying too much. Uh, then oh, now they're, they're at a point where they need to execute, even if they're not going to make any money during during uh, during that process. Um, they get burned out, never do it again, sort of retire from the industry. Um, we also seen a whole lot of builders, uh, particularly lower end builders who've been um, in financial uh, struggles in, in in the last few years, and that they've seen development as a way of generating pipeline for the construction companies. So they're happy to not make a profit in the development side of the project because they're making a profit on the building side of the project. Um, and that's a sound business decision, uh, but it, it basically leaves the, the builders uh, hanging from a thread. So if one thing were to go wrong, then you know the project, sometimes even the builder, ends up uh, go, going under. So um, definitely biggest recommendation is do your numbers correctly, you know, do your feasibility, make sure you include uh, every element in um, before making a decision. It's a lot easier to say no to a building site or to a, to a development site before you buy it than, than after you pay too much for it. He also explains more about the rezoning aspects of developing and the potential profit loss that can occur if you make a purchase at the wrong time. You know, probably five years ago, we used to buy sites with the permits already in place, uh, you know, the, the, the DAs already in place, just ready to build, because for us, it was easier to buy them that way, start construction straight away, and kind of shorten the, life st- the, the lifespan of the project. Um, more recently, what we found with a lot of those projects is that the, the, the people, um, you know, selling those sites have effectively extracted all profit from 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 those development sites up front, so there's no profit left for the actual for the actual developer. So um, we've now gone we've done enough of these projects over the last ten years to now know know the process end to end, and that's part of the reason why we not only do it for ourselves and our own projects, 
but also help some of our clients uh, kind of leverage that experience as well. Thinking back to his childhood, Villa shares where he grew up and when he moved to Australia. You can tell by my accent I wasn't born in, uh, in this part of the world. So I was born in a, in a place called Venezuela on the edge of the Caribbean, uh, much warmer than Melbourne is these days. Um, um, and, and I studied engineering over there. Uh, after, after doing that uh, for a few years, I moved to the United States uh, on and off uh, before finally moving to Australia nearly 15 years ago and uh, ever since been calling Australia home. Very nice, very nice. And when when you said you moved here, was that with parents or you moved yourself uh, with family? Or, or really, it was just me and my wife. Since then, I have uh, you know five year old twin boys who uh, are um, yeah. I'm now increasing the size of the family. So Phyllis shares that despite moving to Melbourne first, he had also lived in Brisbane during the mining boom before coming back to Melbourne to continue developing property. There was a period of about three and a half years, uh, somewhere there in the middle, where I moved to Brisbane. We had a few kind of big projects running in Brisbane, and, and we needed, um, you know, someone to take care of those. We originally thought it was a kind of a growth area, uh, particularly in the, uh, I guess, in the in the peak of the mining boom, we saw a lot of opportunity there. Um, then once obviously um, the, the mining boom finished uh, and the market kind of slowed down, um, those opportunities didn't crystallized the, the way we thought. So decided to come back to Melbourne and concentrate on, on the market I knew, I knew better uh, and in a market that is a lot less exposed to, um, to mining and commodities in general. It is here that Villa's career path led him to work for a number of various companies before that he finally met his business partner. My career is a little bit, is a little bit interesting. So I, I used to be a corporate IT guy a long, long time ago. And from there, I evolved into consulting, project management, uh, and ultimately that kind of led me to to kind of construction and, and engineering. Um, and obviously, in Australia, it's a big industry for us. So, um, you know, once the opportunity presented itself to transition fully into property development and construction, um, yeah, I took it straight away. You know, I work for a number of big corporations here. Um, and as I was training and understanding the market better, ultimately I met my, who today is my business partner, who been running the building company for a little bit. Uh, he was in a growth path, um, but like many builders, his biggest challenge was who he, who he, could he sit uh, next to him that could understand the philosophies of the organization and could drive growth in, in the same way that him as founder. Uh, could, could, could grow it. So, and because we had a long-standing relationship, um, we were a good fit for each other. So, I ended up, uh, yeah, joining the organization full time, and uh, yeah, now we're we're uh, well and truly in that in that growth path we've been over the last few years. But what did Villa study at school in order to get into the property world and begin his own business? So I study engineering and computer sciences. So universities over there have a little bit of a structural difference to the way Australian universities work in the sense that their uh, you know, degrees are much longer. So I went to university for five years uh, and they're a, they're a lot more academic is probably the way I will describe it. So uh, back then there wasn't kind of degrees in IT or, or, or business systems or anything like that. So you had to study engineering first and then after that, specialize yourself. In my case, I specialize in computer sciences. 
Um, so that that background in core engineering uh, became really really useful when uh, once I once I transitioned into property. While these qualifications definitely assisted him with his company, Villa suggests that it was his parents' accounting jobs that influenced his passion for business and finance as well. My parents are both accountants um, of, of different types. So one is more of a practicing accountant, the other one is more of a, a corporate accountant. Um, so from the very beginning, from really, really early age, they helped me understand business and finance really, really well. Even some of those really, really basic concepts, um, you know, serve as a very, very good base to understand how to build and grow business across a number of different industries. So really, really sort of general basic um, skills and, and knowledge that became really useful uh, much later on. Uh, I had a co- couple of, you know, early ventures um, back in the dot-com days and, uh, and, and, and following that. Um, and that set a good, a good base for when I decided to kind of go on my own and establish my own company. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Villa's journey and how he got started in property. Bought it with the intention of living in it. Didn't quite pan out the lifestyle. Uh, so after a year, I turned it into a, a kind of standard investment property. How his company builds up their project portfolio. The way we execute our projects is is, is high speed. We're probably faster than 90% of the builders in, in Victoria because we not only plan them ahead, but, but we have a series of kind of tools and techniques that we deploy throughout throughout the construction to ensure that there's effectively very little downtime. We don't sit around waiting. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shump and you're listening to Property Invest Story. Hey podcast listeners, are you interested in small investments with big profits? If the answer is yes, then register your interest at propertyinveststory.com. When you sign up, you'll receive deals at wholesale price which I've negotiated with the vendor. These deals generate positive cash returns from day one and I only send these out exclusively to my community. To find out more, visit propertyinveststory.com. Now back to the show. With such an integrated skill set from engineering, project management, and IT, Villa shares how exactly his property investing journey began. Definitely an interesting journey, a bit of a, an unexpected one. There's a little bit of, bo- of luck involved being in the right place at, at the right time. So um, as an investor, my first property uh, was a little two-bedroom unit in, uh, in a place called Druin up in, in the Gippsland in country Victoria. Bought it with the intention of living in it. Didn't quite pan out the lifestyle. Uh, so after a year, I turned it into a, a kind of standard investment property. Great, great investment property by itself. You know, positively, you know, uh, positive cash flow, positive gear, uh, low maintenance. So pretty good, but more in the traditional um, way of investing in property. And it was only much later when I started building my own house in Melbourne. I got much closer to to that particular project, kind of follow it you know, on a day-to-day basis together with the person that today is my, kind of my business partner in, in Franco Buildings. Um, and I got the opportunity to see both the similarities between managing a construction project and managing uh, other types of projects that I managed in the past, uh, but also 
you know, how exciting it is to build, you know, a new home, a new house, a new dwelling um, from effectively a patch of dirt. So I, I fell in love with the process. And immediately I started looking for opportunities to get more involved in, in, in projects like that, to get more involved on a day-to-day -day basis on, on the process and the running of projects. So, and then once I, once I was hooked, there was no going back. And how exactly he landed his first property development deal? So the first project that I saw sort of end-to-end is -end, uh, a two-townhouse development that my uh, uh, my business partner had already started in uh, in Surrey Hills. So I came on board sort of um, halfway through that process or maybe a third through that process, but enough to see the end-to-end -end construction uh, of, um, of the property and all the way, all the way to sell. Uh, so, you know, obviously lots of learnings through that process, um, a lot of preparation. So that project we run together. So um, both my business partner and I um, were project managers in the deal. So allow me to learn from, from the experience he already had, the systems we already had, but at the same time, look at, look at the project with sort of new fresh eyes have a look for opportunities to you know improve our processes implement new tools and i guess take a lot of the experience that i had managing other projects and how those learnings and those tools could be used in property um, to improve to you know Im improve the outcome shorten the duration of projects and um, yeah get a better result Delving more into the nitty-gritty details of his first project, Phil explains what his first development was and amazing outcome that ensued after auctioning it off. Again, two, two townhouses in Surrey Hill is a fairly off-market area here in Melbourne. Um, so these townhouses were, they're, they're almost identical copies of, of each other. They're four bedrooms, four and a half bathrooms, uh, really high-end in terms of finishes and really high-quality construction. Um, it's a market where they expect that most rooms will have an entry in it, which is why you see so many bathrooms in that in that process. And they also expect certain level of quality, uh, not, not only in the construction, but also in the finishes. So, you know, Tasmanian oak in the in, in the floorings kind of throughout, uh, high-end carpet in the in the bedrooms, um, you know, German appliances, you know, top-end. Um, you know, architraves and and uh, and kind of details. Um, you know, spas in almost every bathroom. Um, you know, frameless showers. You know, floor to uh, floor to to ceiling tiles. Uh, high high ceilings uh, and ultimately that kind of top finish. So um, it was a really really good experience for for us to. Uh, reinforce one of our core principles, which is, you know, the the building of of high quality properties rather than just going for uh, for the lower cost. Um, it also ended up paying back to to the developer um, who who was um, kind of funding this particular project uh, because both units sold for about ten percent. Uh, above the, the expectation that the real estate agents had quoted. So one of those that sold at auction for nearly $1.8 million uh, and the other one sold, sold sort of privately short, shortly thereafter for a, for a similar sum. So uh, ultimately a great result for a project like that. 
He also explains how long the process took and why it was possible to complete a rather large-scale development in such a short period of time. We built it in about seven months, uh, but um, it included a period of rain, which, um, again, Melbourne uh, uh, it's, uh, is notorious for. So depending on what time of the year uh, construction starts, there, there's about a month there that needs to be kind of taken off. So the real kind of effective time of construction was probably six and a half months. So the way we execute our projects is 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 high speed. We're probably faster than 90% of the builders in, in Victoria because we not only plan them ahead, but, but we have a series of kind of tools and techniques that we deploy throughout throughout the construction to ensure that there's effectively very little downtime. We don't sit around waiting. We make sure that the next step is ready to start as soon as one trade comes out, the next one uh, goes in, and sometimes even in parallel if that's possible, because we know for most of our clients uh, and for our own projects, uh, you know, a shorter project um, has an intrinsic value in terms of holding cost and, you know, speed to market. With such a successful first project, Phyllis shares how many properties he's completed to date. It's hard to take into account because we've done all sorts of different things, but it's probably easier if I talk about the last four or five years. We build about 40 units every year, both a combination of our own projects and projects that we do for, for clients, uh, and obviously a mix of you know sizes of actual projects. So there's projects in there that are you know single custom house, there are projects in there that might be, you know, five or six townhouses, uh, and we're building a 14-apartment building at the moment. Um, but, but in general, our average is about 40 units every year. Villa also shares with us his experience he's had with a client where lack of planning in a development process led to numerous setbacks. Uh, plenty of disaster stories in my investment career, but luckily not, not in development. This one had to do with a uh, a project where the the permits uh, have been um, uh, have been processed to get uh, sort of expediency through council, and in the process of doing that, uh, a few decisions have been made around uh, the structure of the house, the location of the house, the size of the rooms, uh, and the the distribution of, of some of these properties. Um, to kind of, you know, make it easy to go through council. But the person going through that process did not necessarily think about the construction stage. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure uh, why, but they might have thought, you, you know, that's the builder's problem or we'll figure that out when we get to, to the building stage. So we obviously get involved in the, in the, in the building stage. And the moment we had a look at, at the plans, um, we realized that a few of those decisions have been made that were suboptimal, um, but the plans by then were were um, were already approved. So um, the client had two options. Option one, build it as it was um, designed in the plans, and end up probably spending uh, between one hundred and fifty and two hundred thousand dollars more than they should have, uh, with no expectation of getting that money back through through the sale or going back through the whole planning process again through council and get a new DA or new planning permit um, and get that approved, which will effectively set back the project, you know, eight or nine months. So 
Um, so it was one of those lose-lose situations. Um, the, the client decided to do uh, what, what I consider to be probably the less painful option, uh, go back to council, re- redo the process. Um, but, you know, all of that could have been saved by, you know, um, thinking about the project end-to-end from the very beginning uh, rather than, you know, thinking necessarily one step at a time without um, considering the consequences of some of those decisions. Yeah, that's that's a shame. So what was the end result? What happened? Listen, that project is going through council now, so it's been it's been probably uh, nine months since they went back to council. But they will get their permits, and that and the, you know the property will be built, and you know the, those 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 properties will be sold. Unfortunately, um, that investor will have lost kind of significant money in the holding costs. So um, hopefully, you know they'll learn out of that out of that um, experience and, you know, get get uh, get the builder involved earlier uh, next time. Focusing more on his personal story this time, Villa talks about the amazing aha moment where he realized what he could achieve if he got into the property world. And it was, again, fairly early in my development career once I got once I got involved in a, in a couple of projects that was able to see it sort of end to end. It was in that same Surrey Hill project that I, that I was talking about uh, in, a, in a different part of the interview. And it's when I realized that one of the great things about property development uh, is that they don't, there's no losers in, in the process, right? There's no losers in the game. And what I mean by that is in a well-structured, well-executed development project, everyone makes money and everyone gets something out of it. So, you know, the owner of the site can maximize their sale value of the property because often uh, sites that get used for development, um, um, you know, carry carry a premium and, and they tend to be happy with that. The developer obviously makes money through the development process and, and, uh, and the construction process. You know, suppliers and trades can make a decent earning out of providing, you know, skills and work and materials for uh, for the construction projects. And and the ultimate buyer who buys the end product also ends up with, you know, an incredibly quality home that they can either live in or add to their investment portfolio as a rental. Um, so there's really no one in the cycle that ends up uh, losing or worse off. Uh, provided the project gets structured properly. And that's one of the things that I love about development. That's one of the things what we made development, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a key tool in our arsenal and, and kind of our life calling. It's not, you know, it's not about the money. It's not about, you know, the, the, the interesting projects that we execute or the intellectual challenging exercises that we do every day. All of those things are important. But the one that really kind of, drive us every day is the is the ability to create value for other people. So inspired by Henry Villa's journey and that amazing aha moment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll discuss his investing strategy. I start with the end in mind. I don't look for a site straight away. I don't necessarily look for an area straight away. Uh, we analyze the market to see what end users are demanding. The personal habits which have been contributing to his success. What I remind myself of doing every day is look problems as opportunities and also when problems arise, concentrate on that first step. 
And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, are you interested in small investments with big profits? If the answer is yes, simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to register your interest. When you sign up, you'll receive deals at wholesale price, which I've negotiated with the vendor. These deals generate positive cash returns from day one and only send these out exclusively to my community. To find out more, text me your email address on 0499881040. Thanks for listening.